On today's Winning Cures Everything, Miami hires Lance Guidry as defensive coordinator, Brian Ferentz and the ridiculous Iowa contract amendment, and I touch on everything with Pac-12 media rights negotiations, possible expansion, AAC and Mountain West expansion, best potential future Pac-12 games, and more. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Can you believe it? It's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host. A confident young man. A superb athlete. Gary Seegers. Welcome back to Winning Cures Everything, powered by BetUS, where we talk college football news and rumors all year round. I'm Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. And this is the Thursday, February 9th edition of the show. It is Season 8, Episode 11 for you podcast listeners. Uh, If you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like button. And whether you are watching or listening to the podcast, hit the subscribe button so you never miss the latest tales from the college football universe. And we've got a lot to hit on today, so no lollygagging. Uh, Let's go on and get right into the show. Going to write down the times, make sure we're good to go. Miami has hired Lance Guidry from Tulane as their defensive coordinator. Now, of course, Guidry has only been with the Green Wave for a few weeks. Uh, He was Marshall's D.C. for the past two seasons. Miami owes Tulane a $500,000 buyout in the next 60 days. Now, I actually talked about what a great hire Guidry was for Tulane when that move was made. Uh, You can go back and watch the video on that on the channel. Uh, And as far as Tulane was concerned, it was because of Guidry's familiarity with the recruiting landscape around Tulane. Uh, Guidry was the head coach at McNeese State. But he he spent 21 seasons in Louisiana since 1994. His only ties to Florida include one season, 2020 as safeties coach for Jim Levitt's defense at FAU. So, here's the question. What is the connection from Guidry to Cristobal? Now, FAU was coached by Willie Taggart in 2020. Uh, Guidry was also the D.C. for Taggart's Western Kentucky teams in 2011 and 2012. Taggart, of course, hired Cristobal as his co-offensive coordinator and offensive line coach when he took the Oregon job, and really, uh, the rest is history, of course. Now, once Guidry was announced, Charlie Strong announced uh, that he is not returning to Miami as co-defensive coordinator. He told ESPN, and I quote, Coach Cristobal and the program made a decision to go in a different direction. Now it's time for me to go in a different direction. Now, Chris Lowe tweeted that Strong was not interviewed for the job, which... Uh, why would he be if he was already co-DC like I would have imagined that Strong probably was going to be demoted a bit to maybe just a position coach Uh, you know I think Guidry would have been given full control of the defense Uh, but this is just kind of weird you know although to be honest Charlie Strong made enough money from Texas that I do not imagine he's got to worry too much about being in any job that he doesn't want to be in right 
So, so back to Guidry. Let's take a look at what his defense's numbers were this past season. He was first in third down defense. They were second in defensive stop rate, fourth in efficiency defense, fifth in turnovers game, sixth in passing efficiency defense, sixth in rushing defense, seventh in scoring defense, seventh in yards per play, ninth in sacks, ninth in interceptions, tenth in first down defense, tenth in total defense. They were top ten in everything. I mean, it was just absurd numbers all year. And that's with an offense that I don't know that there's a nice way to say putrid, but Marshall's offense just stunk flat out. So if everything is so great about Guidry, what what are the cons? I mean, there's got to be pros and cons, right? Well, first, there's basically no familiarity with Florida. We already brought that up. Uh, So he'll have to make some inroads for local recruiting. But this will go back to the pros column. If Cristobal wants to try and get into Louisiana, uh, this guy's money. The other part is this. Uh, while he's been coaching since 1994, he has only been an FBS coach for seven of those 29 seasons, and those were spent at these schools. Let's go on and list them. Miami of Ohio, Western Kentucky, Florida Atlantic, and Marshall. Zero Power 5 experience. But, hey, uh, he does have a win over Notre Dame on his resume, so I suppose that's up there. In all seriousness, though, I I really respect Coach Guidry's acumen. I have a feeling this is going to be looked back on as a fantastic hire. Uh, Guidry is a secondary coach, and he has got some serious talent to work with. Uh, Former five-star James Williams, All-American Cameron Kitchens, etc. This is is better, in my opinion, than just trotting out Charlie Strong. Uh, But it's not a fresh-faced kid either. I mean, uh, Guidry's been doing this for a while, albeit not at this level. But this could work wonders for the Hurricanes program going forward. Winning Cures Everything is brought to you by BetUS. With fast payouts, fantastic customer service, a myriad of options to bet on, and an easy-to-use layout, it is easy to see why it's been America's favorite online sportsbook for nearly 30 years. And right now, you can wager with a $50 free play with no deposit required just by signing up using the link in the description here. So take advantage of the deal. Get signed up over at BetUS, where the game begins. Bill Conley. That's right, old Bill over at ESPN now, formerly of SB Nation. Uh, the, the legendary proprietor of the SP Plus system. It used to be S&P, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but yes, podcast ain't played nobody. You guys know. He released his 2023 returning production numbers for all 133 FBS college football teams over at ESPN.com. And yes, I did say 133 teams. Jacksonville State and Sam Houston have officially made the jump into Conference USA. They are now FBS members. So, uh, who brings back the most returning production? Well, Mike Norvell's Florida State Seminoles, and we're going to talk about him in just a minute. But they bring back 87% of their production from this past season. So, yes, the hype train will be alive and well in Tallahassee. Uh, The top 10 rounds out with some interesting names here. You got number two, Kansas. Number three, FAU. Number four, Wyoming. Number five, Michigan. Another hype candidate there. Number six, UConn. Jim Mora, that's right. He got him to a bowl game uh, with a lot of guys that are going to be back. Number seven, Texas A&M. Number eight, Boston College. Number nine, Missouri. And number 10, Temple. The only two teams that ranked top 10 returning production on offense and defense were number two, Kansas, and number four, Wyoming. Very interesting. Now, Conley also tweeted out each conference's Returning production leaders, let's go on and go through here. Uh, The AAC, brand new member, Florida Atlantic, 83% returning production. Tom Herman has got a lot of experience to work with in his first season with the Owls. 
The ACC, of course, Florida State, 87%. In the Big 12, Kansas, we already hit on them. Big 10, Michigan, 81%. Conference USA, the new look Conference USA. Florida International, FIU, 74%. Mike McIntyre overperformed by nearly two full games as far as post-game win expectancy is concerned. Can they improve again against a weaker Conference USA? And you got a lot of you got a lot of experience coming back. Uh, as far as independence, UConn, eighty percent. We talked about them in the MAC. Toledo and Northern Illinois, both at seventy-seven percent. Now, is Jason Candle even going to be Toledo's coach? Who knows? And if Thomas Hammock doesn't make a bowl this year, things could get real dicey for the Huskies coach. It, we'll we'll touch on them later. In the Mountain West, Wyoming, eighty-three percent. Oh, look, surprise, Craig Bowl nearly made the Mountain West Conference title game in 2022, and now they return the most production in the conference. We, we know what to expect from a Craig Bowl team, right? If you've been watching this show for any amount of time, you guys understand how much I appreciate what Wyoming does year in, year out. In the Pac-12, USC and Utah both at 76%. In the SEC, Texas A&M. Now, we hit on them. They're at 80% returning production. So, the question of course, is was AM slide last year just due to inexperience? Because that will not be an excuse here. you got to come up with something different. Uh, as far as the Sun Belt is concerned, South Alabama, 77%. Kane Womack has a chance to do big things this year in Mobile. Now, Conley also talked about how returning production is not the only piece of his projections, but if they were, uh, these are the five teams that would improve the most. Of course, you can go over and follow Bill on Twitter, but number one, FAU, up 7.1 points. Florida State up 6.1 points. South Alabama would be up 4.1 points. Wyoming, the same thing. And Missouri, plus 3.6. On the other side of that, the teams that would decline the most in his SP Plus projections, Kent State is losing so much, they would be downgraded 24 points. That is insane. Uh, Georgia State down 15.2. East Carolina down 15 uh, by the way, big part of this is a lot of these guys are losing quarterbacks. Very important piece of the puzzle there. Uh, Stanford down 13.2. App State down 12.7. And then there's other notables as well. Alabama would be down almost 9 points. TCU 8 points. Cincy 7 points. Virginia down nearly 6 points. And Wake Forest is down 4.4. Now, returning production is a fun metric to play with in the offseason. It helps set a baseline expectation of progression or regression. Uh, but as Conley said, it's it's not the end-all, be-all for projections going into the season. There's still another transfer portal window. We'll have to see what final rosters look like as far as talent goes. But this is the first step towards figuring out exactly what we're working with heading into the 2023 season. Let's move to Iowa. Kirk Ferentz announced last week that he did not anticipate any changes on his coaching staff. And... The response was, of course, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth from Iowa fans that wanted to see offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz, Kirk's son, take a job elsewhere or step down, etc. Now, those that were a little more patient were probably just holding out hope that Brian would be rehomed as the offensive line coach with the Patriots, you know, given the relationship between Kirk and Belichick. Uh, but the Pats coach, uh, or excuse me, the Pats hired uh, Coach Clem from Oregon, so that hope dissipated pretty quickly earlier in the week. And then... On Tuesday, the athletic director, Gary Barta, revealed that Brian Ferentz had received a $50,000 pay cut. Oh, oh, and, and by the way, there's this little thing about a designated performance objective. It, this is what it reads. The program must win at least seven games. That's right. 
and the offense has to average 25 points per game or the younger Ferentz's contract will not be renewed after next season. Now, per Scott Docterman at The Athletic, Brian Ferentz initially was contracted to make $972,000 this year. Uh, he's down to like eight fifty at this point. It's, it's really insane. Uh, so how far away from that 25 points per game threshold have the Hawkeyes been? Well, this past season, they averaged 17.7 points per game uh, in, in the 2022 season. So even an extra touchdown every game would not have gotten them there. And they averaged 23.4 points per game in 2021. Of course, like you can't forget the defensive and special teams touchdowns are included in those averages. And yes, they will still be counted towards the 25 points per game as well this coming season. In 2022, the offense only averaged 14 points per game, while the defense added the other 3.7 points per game with six touchdowns and two safeties. Now, in 2024, he's going to have to try and reach that mark with only 64% returning production on offense. That's per Bill Conley. We just talked about that, uh, which is good for number 72 nationally. So let's, let's talk about where the 25 points per game came from. At Hawkeye Report on Twitter put this out on Tuesday. Iowa is 55-3. and three. The last eight years when they scored 24 points per game and 25-0 and 0 when they scored 24 in the last four seasons. Uh, the objective is winning games, and based on those numbers, 25 would do that at a high level. Now, of course, those numbers have been helped a lot by Phil Parker's absolutely ridiculous defenses, uh, but next year is going to be an interesting one. Parker's defense only has a 49% returning production rate on that side of the ball. That's good for number 102 in FBS. Now, I personally... Cannot wait to watch this. We're going to have to keep track of it on here uh, because with 13 games, you know, 12 regular season and one bowl game, uh, the offense has to score a combined 325 points next season. So are they going to run up the score on some weaker teams that try and uh, are to try and hit the mark, I guess? The non-conference slate brings Utah State and Western Michigan to Kinnick, uh, but Iowa has to play Iowa State in Ames in week two. Now starting in week four, here's what the Big Ten schedule looks like. They are at Penn State, they bring in Michigan State, they bring in Purdue, they're playing at Wisconsin, and then they've got Minnesota. Uh, after the bye week, I, I guess it's all systems go because you got Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, and at Nebraska. But man, this is going to be incredible television. Incredible television. Let the countdown to 325 begin. Let's talk Northwestern for a second. Now this is an easy one to, uh, to hit on. Northwestern is hosting Iowa at Wrigley Field on uh, November 14th. Excuse me, November 4th. I looked at the date wrong. Uh, it's week 10 of the season. This is what they're calling the Wildcat Classic. Northwestern hosted Purdue at Wrigley in 2021 in the first of a multi-year agreement between the Cubs and the Wildcats that was announced all the way back in 2013. Uh, the first game was supposed to be Wisconsin back in 2020, but that game was moved to Ryan Field in Evanston due to the pandemic. Uh, the Chicago Bears played at Wrigley from 1921 through 1970 before they moved on to Soldier Field. Northwestern did play Illinois there back in 2010, and at that point it was the first college football game at Wrigley Field since 1938. Uh, in that game, due to safety concerns, the teams directed every possession towards only one end zone, which was absolutely absurd. And yes, it was the same issue that Jacksonville State and North Alabama had at Toyota Field, which is the home of the Rocket City Trash Pandas last year in Madison, Alabama. Uh, but baseball fields are not exactly long enough to fit entire football stadiums inside, right? It's, it, you know, Wrigley is expected to be an option for some of the home games for Northwestern uh, while the teardown and the rebuild of Ryan Field is ongoing. And honestly, I, I'm a little torn on this 
it's it's kind of cool to see uh, Big Ten football inside of legendary Wrigley Field. But again, it's a baseball park, not a football stadium. Like the crowd dynamic is different. It's it's a little weird. I get the appeal for a casual college football fan for sure, um, but it's a it's a little strange, right? Iowa most recently played in Chicago in 2012. It was a win over Northern Illinois. So if you just look at the records, Iowa is one and zero, and Northwestern is zero and two in their most recent appearances in the Windy City. Let's move to Florida State. Per Matt Baker of the Tampa Times, Florida State has signed coach Mike Norvell to a contract extension through the 2029 season. Now, the new compensation structure bumps him up $8.05 million per year. That's right. He is up over $8 million a year. His original contract was for six years and $28 million. That's, uh, do the math, like $4.6 million, if I remember right. Uh, if I'm doing the math right, it's like $4.6, $4.7, somewhere around there. Uh, Norvell was seriously doubted in his first 18 months on the job, but it's nice to see that he has been rewarded and Florida State fans and the administration, like they are buying into what he can build now that he's been given time. Think about how absurd it is that Florida State didn't have the talent to be able to run what Norvell wanted to early in his tenure. Like that's insane to think about right now. Of course, I say nice things about him. Um, They've got the most returning production in the country, of course. Uh, but, you know, say those one-score games last year, they could have gone a different way. Who knows what might happen this season? Eh, I mean, we'll we'll see. What what do, wait, how about this? What I do know is that Mike Norville is a winner, and you are lucky if you're a football fan and your team has one of those at the helm. That's the easiest way to put that. All right, and on the other side, we are going to talk a whole lot about the Pac-12 media rights situation, possible expansion with San Diego State and SMU, the best games the two potential members would bring to the conference. Uh, We're going to hit on AAC and Mountain West Conference expansion options and more. Let's check out some things you should know about. Every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, expert game analysis only on the BetUS TV College football channel. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Visit winningcureseverything.com slash store to see what all we've added. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
And now, back to the show. All right. Moving along. Fox Sports CEO Eric Shanks talked about Fox's five core rights deals that they currently own on the Marshand and Orand port, uh, excuse me, sports media podcast. And he was asked about whether or not Fox has any interest in the Pac-12. Now, his response was this. We've set our strategy, and I think we're really content and able to be opportunistic. So if there was something opportunistically with the Pac-12, but now that we have the Big Ten and the Big 12 done, I think we're content with where we are. And if something came up, we'd definitely look at it. This does not sound good for the Pac-12 regarding their media rights. Uh, One of the two biggest sports distribution networks just made it publicly known uh, that they are not interested, really, in the Pac-12 package. Like, most people assumed that they would be interested to try and fill at least, like, their late Saturday or Friday night time slots uh, with the Pac-12, but Fox is apparently really only interested in bigger games for their linear network, and they've already got a contract with Mountain West, so their late-night windows are basically covered. Like, this is the first potential media partner that has gone public with a nicely put thanks but no thanks. Like, The Athletic just put out an article by Stuart Mandel, uh, excuse me, it was Mandel, Auerbach, uh, Olsen, and Vanini, right? They were discussing all the latest from the situation. Now, first, the Pac-12 was ahead of the Big 12 in the media rights paying order, and the Pac-12 started reaching out about getting a new deal done back in late July or early August. Here we are, six months later, the Big 12 got out ahead, already has a deal finalized, and... And it's a deal that gives them the option of stealing Pac-12 schools and conference expansion, no less. And the Pac-12, as we've been discussing, is having to go and look for teams like San Diego State and SMU just to be able to get some kind of deal done. Now, that begs the question, why is that? Like, take this from that article. It says, three people with knowledge of the discussions said Commissioner George Klyovkov is struggling to find partners willing to pay close to what the league is seeking. Two of those sources said Klyovkov overpromised his members on how many bidders there would be and what dollar amount they could uh, command, a target north of $40 million per school, according to one league athletic director. Today, it is uncertain whether the Pac-12 will even be able to exceed the $31.6 million average that the Big 12 reportedly landed in a six-year extension with ESPN and Fox it reached last fall. Uh, The quote here is, We don't have a deal because it hasn't been good, said the AD. That's an AD. Like, the fact that this leak is coming from inside the conference is insane. This stuff usually does not happen. Now, this means that uh, the negotiations have been just an absolute disaster. Uh, There were rumors that the Pac-12 offers were like $250 to $270 million per year for Pac-12 rights, which, with 10 teams, is only, you know, $25 to $27 million per school. Now, are you telling me that inventory alone with potential expansion partners like San Diego State and SMU is going to bump that up by $5 million per school? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, it should be noted that it does not include money from CFP expansion, uh, the NCAA tournament units, bowl game revenue, etc., which would definitely add to that, uh, that number. But it's going to add to the other conferences as well. Like, this is an absolute nightmare for George Klyovkov. Absolute nightmare. Uh, let's talk about expansion. Let's talk about those expansion uh, rumors and thoughts, and it's not really a rumor, I guess, at this point. Uh, But Dennis Dodd at CBS and Brett McMurphy of the Action Network both reported on potential Pac-12 expansion. McMurphy tweeted, Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov is visiting SMU on Wednesday, that was yesterday, 
Uh, sources told the Action Network. Uh, San Diego State and SMU are top Pac-12 expansion candidates. The Pac-12 needs more members and more inventory for new media rights deal, which is expected to rely heavily on digital streaming services. Now, this is something that we talked about on the show just a couple of weeks ago. San Diego State and SMU are both nearing R1 status as academic uh, institutions, which would absolutely um, curry some favor with the Pac-12 presidents. But also, their market sizes, uh, as adding San Diego and Dallas is going to help with the recruiting, with television households, and more, right? Now, per John Canzano, uh, he said adding San Diego State would get the Pac-12 back into Southern California and regain 1.13 million television households. Adding SMU would bring the Dallas TV market with it. That's 2.96 million TV homes. Uh, SMU plus San Diego State equals 4.1 million combined TV households, which is going to be attractive to media partners. But after the dust settles, the Pac-12 would still have 2.6 million fewer television homes than it did before the departures of USC and UCLA. Now, Klyovkov did visit SMU yesterday, uh, and he, along with the other Pac-12 reps and SMU reps, were spotted at SMU basketball's 72-71 win over Temple. Uh, there's been no news out of that. SMU won't talk about it. Uh, nobody's, nobody's talking. But the fact that it was done so publicly is very interesting because you don't normally see that kind of thing, right? So... Uh, Dennis Dodd's article at CBSSports.com is headlined, Pac-12 expansion with San Diego State SMU may be necessary before the league inks new media rights deal. Now, this is not exactly news. Uh, did the Pac-12 presidents want to stay at 10 schools? Probably. Uh, almost certainly. Was it ever a realistic possibility with a new media rights deal being negotiated uh, and the conference being the last to the market? Probably not. Not really. Uh, there aren't a lot of big potential games left on the calendar, and the time slots on linear television are, for the most part, already taken up. Without USC and UCLA, the number of must-watch games has dropped significantly. Uh, add in the reality that other lucrative properties are coming available, right? right? You got UFC coming up, you got NASCAR, uh, the NBA, WWE. This is just a recipe for disaster for this conference. Now, in Dodd's article, he states... Uh, significantly more than half of each season's Pac-12 football games will be primarily available via streaming as part of the conference's next rights deal, sources tell CBS Sports. Such a ratio is unprecedented for a Power 5 conference and for whichever streaming giant becomes the first to more fully embrace college sports. Now, the move would likely upset Pac-12 coaches, athletic directors, and administrators who rely on widespread visibility for their games via linear and network platforms for everything from... Uh, athletic recruitment, to university enrollment. So basically, the Pac-12 may have been left with no other choice. And keeping a presence in Southern California, along with the biggest metro, uh, excuse me, the biggest metro area still available, Dallas, uh, those were the two best options, you know, still on the table. Uh, before we keep going, do me a favor. Uh, it's been a minute since I told you. Go ahead and hit that like button for me. If you haven't already, subscribe. Uh, toss your thoughts in the comments, etc. You guys know the drill. You guys know what we're doing here. All right. Now, we already knew that we already knew that San Diego State and SMU were the favorites here. But could there be more? What happens if negotiations between San Diego State, SMU, and the Pac-12 fall apart? Uh, what if they what if the conference wants to jump to more than 12 teams? Well, per John Canzano, and you can read his stuff at johncanzano.com. Uh, Fresno State has had short interactions with the Pac-12 per a well-placed conference source. Uh, Klyovkov has not visited the campus yet. 
California's Central Valley actually includes 2.3 million TV homes, which is more than San Diego State's addition brings. Now, that part is certainly attractive, but as Canzano states, uh, Fresno's close proximity to the Bay Area may make Stanford and Cal uneasy. Now, that makes sense, considering Fresno's only like 160 miles away from Palo Alto. Uh, At the same time, I don't think Fresno is going to be recruiting the same kind of student-athletes that Stanford and Cal will be. Like, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, But this is also an issue for Boise State, who definitely doesn't bring the same number of households. I think it's only around like 510,000 or 520, whatever it is. Uh, But it is a much more well-known brand than any of the potential expansion targets that we're already talking about. The issue here is that Boise could be vetoed because certain Pac-12 schools recruit against the Broncos. Like Boise is less than 300 miles from Pullman, about 350 to Salt Lake City, and uh, less than 500 from Seattle, Corvallis, and Eugene. Uh, on the academic side, and, and by this point we all understand how important academics and research are to the presidents in the Pac-12, uh, but Boise State is looked at as basically a junior college, right, by the remaining Pac-12 institutions. And Boise State fans do not get mad at me for that. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. Uh, pushing Boise State in expansion could actually upset the biggest brands left in the conference. And it, honestly, Klyovkov's job right now is to not only keep the remaining 10 schools together, uh, but make sure that Oregon and Washington are happy. Like, that's what you didn't do with USC and UCLA, right? That, I mean, that's that's it. All right, so what about UNLV, right? The football success has not been there. They don't bring a lot as far as television households, only about 750000 But it is a city and a region that is rapidly growing. Uh, they now have an NFL team. The Pac-12 championship has been moved to Allegiant Stadium. There's a plethora of potential sponsorship opportunities there, along with the fact that Klyovkov was an executive at MGM before taking over the commissioner's role with the conference. Uh, UNLV is certainly investing in their football program. They just fired Marcus Arroyo, who by all accounts appeared to have the program headed in the right direction after three years. Uh, but they hired former Arkansas defense coordinator and Missouri head coach Barry Odom. You know, it seems like a reasonable candidate here. So why is Fresno or Boise or UNLV, et cetera, even in play? Like, if San Diego State and SMU are the favorites, that moves the league back up to uh, 12 teams. Why would they be looking at even more, especially if the rumors are true, that, you know, Oregon, Washington, et cetera, are not in favor of expansion? Well, if the Pac-12 media rights negotiations are contingent on having uh, plenty of inventory, then the more teams, the better, I guess. Uh, Canzano uh, stated this as well, and I'm quoting, I'm told per a source that one of the media rights partners the Pac-12 is engaged with is looking for, quote, some tonnage. The unnamed entity would like to beef up the inventory. This sounds a lot like Amazon, which needs content for the sports app it floated a while ago. Now, how much inventory are we talking about here? Uh, with only 10 teams, once you move into the conference late, that would only be, what, five games at most per weekend? Now, while that's great for uh, making sure each game could be in a specific time window, let's say Friday night, uh, three staggered during the afternoon and evening, and then one late Saturday, uh, it's not great for a streamer that's looking for inventory, right? Especially on weekends when teams get a bye week, that cuts the number down to like four games or fewer. Uh, So if the Pac-12 just adds two teams in expansion, going from 10 teams to 12, that bumps the inventory from 75 games per season up to 90, assuming a nine-conference game schedule. Now, along with, uh, you know, better odds that you'll get at least one decent matchup each weekend, right? Uh, so let's let's hit on that for a little bit longer. How absurd is it that the Pac-12 is in a position where, in order to become appealing to potential media rights partners, the conference is having to go and look at expansion options? Like, this is mind-blowing stuff. Like, absolutely. My- anyway, let, so stepping away from 
from the troubles there. Uh, there is also the thought that the Pac-12 could add Fresno and Boise to keep the Big 12 from adding them and derailing future media rights negotiations. Uh, we all know that the Big 12 commissioner, Brett Yormark, has stated publicly several times that they want to get into the fourth time window, which, of course, is the Pacific time zone. I don't know that the Pac-12 is in a position to just add everybody that might be a possibility for the Big 12, but it is something to pay attention to. Like, if the Pac-12 streaming experiment does not go well, the next media rights negotiations are going to be really, really difficult for George Glavkoff and company. That's, that's the biggest issue. If the Big 12 starts adding a bunch of those teams from out west, they have some of that late-night inventory that some of these linear television networks would want if the streaming thing doesn't work and Amazon decides to get out of it, there's nowhere left for the Pac-12 to go after that. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. So let's talk about the best potential Pac-12 TV games in the new league without USC and UCLA. Uh, Let's look at this as if San Diego State and SMU are already confirmed into the conference, which obviously nothing has been voted on yet, so... Uh, As the old saying goes, you know, don't count your chickens, but let's just say that they do. What what are some of the more appealing, more fun, or maybe just more interesting matchups that we could look to see down the road? Uh, The first one I wrote down here is San Diego State and Utah. Now, we've seen this matchup quite a few times. It's given us some pretty good games, two programs that go about things very similarly. Uh, Another one that I came up with is SMU and Colorado. Like, this is the Pony Express in primetime. Uh, need I say more, right? Who who knows how long Lashley or Sanders are going to be at their schools, but this is a fun old-school matchup between two teams that were, uh, you know, really big back in, you know, the 80s or whatever. So, interesting, fun matchup. SMU and Arizona. Jed Fish's offense against Rhett Lashley's offense. Uh, who knows what the coaching matchup will look like by the time this thing gets done, by the time SMU moves into the conference. But, man, you talk about a game that would have produced fireworks last year. And, and should in the future with the way that both of these programs prioritize offense, right? San Diego State and Arizona State. I'm doing this one mainly because I like the idea of the Sun Devils against the Aztecs. Like, it's a fantastic mascot battle here. Two fun cities and campuses, uh, an underrated uniform matchup, really. SMU against Oregon. This is another interesting uniform matchup, but also a big-time recruiting battle as, you know, Oregon has been known to go into Texas and grab some kids right out of SMU's backyard. San Diego State and Stanford, uh, red and black against red and white. That's one. We've also seen this matchup recently. San Diego State beat them 20-17 back in 2017, and Stanford won 31-10 in 2018. Uh, Hey, why don't we just toss this one out there? San Diego State against SMU. Like, one team is built on defense, one team is built on offense. I don't know what kind of numbers this would do as far as TV, but it's got potential. Like, the interesting thing here is that everyone else has that uh, built-in rivalry, right? You got Stanford-Cal, you got Arizona-Arizona State, you got Colorado-Utah, and you got Oregon-Oregon State and the Apple Cup. Like, do we just pair up SMU and SDSU at the end of every season? Or do we maybe do, like, uh, Utah and San Diego State and, like, Colorado-SMU? Like, of course, like, when it comes to TV, you've got some guaranteed big draws. You got the, the trifecta of Washington, Oregon, and Utah all playing each other. You got the Civil War or whatever they're calling it now. Uh, the Apple Cup, the game, you know, Stanford and Cal. Anything Deion Sanders does is going to be gold. The Territorial Cup with Arizona and Arizona State. Obviously, some of these are bigger than others when it comes to straight numbers, but you know that these will draw eyeballs. Like, oh, what kind of eyeballs will SMU and Oregon State draw? San Diego State and Washington State. Cal and SMU. Like, it's it's going to create some matchups that have 
very little intrigue to a national audience. Uh, either way, I, like I think it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. That's that's what I'm looking for going forward. All right, so staying in the theme of expansion. I'm not going to dive into all the legal stuff regarding the AAC grant of rights, etc. But if SMU does leave to join the Pac-12, that puts the AAC back to 13 teams. Now, who are the most likely expansion candidates for the AAC if SMU joins the Pac-12? Now, it's not as easy to pick up uh, teams as it was even just last season. At this point, you're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. Uh, but there are certainly some intriguing candidates. I think the first option here for the AAC would be Liberty. Uh, now they just hired former head shunt Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina. They have an enrollment of 95000 Their endowment is reportedly $1.7 billion. And Lynchburg, Virginia is directly between Charlotte and Washington, D.C. They've got the recruiting ground. They'll have a huge alumni base. And this program has shown the desire to spend on their athletics programs in ways that a lot of sc uh, small schools, not that they would not, they just cannot. Like, this would be a big time get, I think, for the AAC. And now, if something were to get in the way of this, or if the AAC decides that they don't want to be involved with a religious institution, there are, and I would understand that, I guess, uh, there are some other schools that could make sense as well, right? Uh, Toledo. They've been a member of the MAC since 1950. Their enrollment is only around 18,000. Their endowment is around $550 million, but they are in a talent-rich, football-centric area. It's tucked in the corner of Lake Erie between Detroit and Cleveland. It's only like 140 miles from Columbus. Uh, they're the best team in the MAC, and an AAC deal would allow them to stop having their head coach flirt with leaving to become a Power 5 offensive coordinator, which has been rumored for like two straight seasons. Uh, travel might be an issue, as Toledo is not close to any other AAC schools. Like They're over 500 miles from Charlotte and Philly, nearly 700 miles to Memphis, over 850 to Tulsa, all of which are their closest neighbors. Now, of course, that pales in comparison to USC and UCLA and the Big Ten, uh, but the AAC, they ain't offering 10 money, right? So that, that's a little bit of an issue. Uh, what about Buffalo? Now, academically, this is going to be quite the get. Uh, the endowment is over a billion dollars, enrollment over 30,000, uh, excuse me, 30,000. <coughs> Whew. Um, yeah, yeah, Buffalo. Uh, endowment uh, over a billion, their enrollment over 30,000. And it would be the conference's third AAU member, along with Tulane and Rice. Uh, and Rice, of course, just joining this year. The SEC only has five AAU schools, and that includes Texas, who isn't even here yet. And, you know, if, if the AAC were to grab Buffalo, that would make them have three. So right up there as far as uh, academics are concerned. Um, Buffalo just joined the FBS in 1999. They've already been in six bowl games. They've played in the MAC title game three times. Uh, they invest in their athletics programs, and they have continuously made good hires. Uh, that's as evidenced by Turner Gill in the late 2000s, uh, Lance Leipold in the late 2010s, and then, of course, the basketball coaches Bobby Hurley and Nate Oates. Now, on top of that, the school is less than 400 miles away from Philadelphia and Annapolis. Like, you still run into the geography issues you do with Toledo, uh, but at least you've got, you know, some schools within 400 miles there. Like, we'll see. Another interesting idea here is would the AAC want to try and steal a Mountain West school? Like, UNLV is my last interesting proposition here. Uh, the AAC has shown a propensity to want schools in big metropolitan areas, which helps with eyeballs, branding, sponsorship opportunities, etc. UNLV would be right up their alley. Now, the issue there is, again, geography. The closest AAC schools to UNLV would be, I mean, well over 1,200 miles away. 
Uh, but flights into Vegas are a lot easier to come by than getting to Buffalo or Toledo, right? Uh, toss in the recruiting footprint, uh, another time window, a big student enrollment, along with potential gambling sponsorship dollars, and you could have something very interesting on your hands. Now, the other side of that is would it make sense for UNLV? Like, that's for the Rebels to figure out, but it's, it's certainly an exciting option for the AAC. As far as the Mountain West is concerned, let's go and write down the time here. It will be quick on Mountain West conference expansion options. There's not many in FBS, unless the new commissioner, Gloria Navarez, wants to expand the footprint deep into Texas, right? Uh, but right off the bat, you've already got New Mexico, so why not think about bringing in New Mexico State? The football program definitely took a big step up in year one under new head coach Jerry Kill, but uh, the Aggies program has been the only FBS independent in this part of the country since the Sun Belt ended their football-only associate uh, membership following the 2017 season. Now, 2023 is going to be their first season in Conference USA. Geographically, it makes sense. It would make the Rio Grande rivalry with New Mexico a conference game with more stakes than just bragging rights, right? Uh, another potential option is UTEP. I mean, just right down the road, uh, who remains in Conference USA. Uh, UTEP has not been a good athletic program for quite some time, but they have got a passionate fan base, a legendary stadium in the Sun Bowl, a top 100 designated market area with a population near a million, and they got nearly 400,000 TV households. Like UTEP also fits geographically. They're only about 45 miles from New Mexico State in Las Cruces, so if one fits, uh, then the other one would as well, right? Uh, outside of those two, then you got to start diving into FCS, right? It, what about potential FCS, you know, bump-ups to FBS? There's a slew of Big Sky Conference teams that, that likely wouldn't be able to fit the bill for a move-up, whether it be because of the additional scholarships, the average attendance requirements, uh, or the stadium requirements. Uh, but I do think that the Mountain West could certainly reach out to schools like Sacramento State, uh, Weber State, Montana State to kind of gauge interest on that. Uh, that's At least that's my thought process on it. All right. To close out the show. Yes, I do host a college football show, but a lot of people have reached out to me asking about my Super Bowl pick, so I am going to give out my Super Bowl 57 pick. The current line is the Eagles favored by one. And yeah, I'm going to ride with Jalen Hurts. I'll take Jalen Hurts and the boys. I'll also take that over 51. I expect this game to be played in the upper 20s, maybe the upper 30s. Um, I think it's going to be a fantastic ball game. Like this Jalen Hurts storyline is so good. I do understand that Patrick Mahomes is a ridiculously good quarterback. And Andy Reid is on the opposite side of the Eagles, which is also pretty funny. Uh, the storylines are great in this. But I will take the Eagles to win this one. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Link Cures Everything. Again, if you have not already, click that like button for me. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel and jump in the comments. Let me know your thoughts on Charlie Strong throwing up deuces to Mario Cristobal and, of course, all the realignment stuff that we went over along with the Brian Ferentz contract amendment, etc. As always, if there is something that you want me to talk about on the show, feel free to hit me up at GaryWCE on Twitter, or you can always email me, Gary at winningcureseverything.com, or, again, just toss it in the comments, right on the YouTube page. Very easy. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Make sure and leave us a review. Go sign up at BetUS. Enjoy the Super Bowl. It's the last real football game we got until, well, next week when we fire up the XFL. <laughs> until next time, of course, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. God bless college football and hopefully all of your tickets cash this week. 
Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And make sure to leave a nice five-star review. You can follow Gary on Twitter, at GaryWCE. And the show is at Winning Cures. Be sure to check out the merch in our web store and share the show. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.